Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me on Gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. It is Championship Sunday in the National Football League, joined as always by my partner in crime, Alex Uplinger, at Full Underscore Slate Underscore Pod. He manages the podcast Twitter there. And also shoot him a follow at Alex Underscore Up7. You can follow me at G Underscore Frank6 for plenty of my sports takes as well. As like I said, it is championship championship Sunday in the National Football League. And Alex, before we get to the gambling and the point spreads and the totals and the props, let's just take a moment to acknowledge that I think the NFL here really got it right. Well, got it right might not be the right wording because this is just the four we ended up with. But let's can I I'll say lucked out. That we have, I think they they won, right? They did. They didn't get it right because yes. adding that that seventh seed did absolutely nothing. Did, uh, yeah, I mean Miami was competitive this year, but yeah, for the most part, the seven seeds have been a waste of time, and it essentially has been. They ended a, up getting the best of the best. Yes, you know, and, and I think one of my buddies put it well in that we have probably the best team all year in each conference in Philly and Kansas City. And then you have the hottest current teams in each conference in San Francisco and Cincinnati. And that's the four that you have left. You got to be happy with that if you're the National Football League. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, you got the Niners riding a 12 game win streak, a, a streak in which they're 10 and 2 against the spread. I mean, it doesn't get hotter than that. And then you have the Bengals, which are on. Some absolutely absurd. I don't think they've lost ATS since that night game in Cleveland, right? And they're they're twenty one and five against the spread in their last twenty six games. So that's spanning two seasons, and it's just outrageous. I mean, it's like tough to step in front of this this Bengals wagon, which we've, yeah. we've seen the past two seasons. Last thing I'll say, just kind of on a non gambling front, and we haven't really talked about this, so I'm curious your thoughts. I am very happy that, like, looking back on it, that we did not have the neutral site AFC championship game because I've long felt that conference championships belong. And honestly, I never even thought about it until the possibility of neutral site conference championship creeped in in the AFC. But so I shouldn't say long felt, but ever since that possibility opened up, I thought to myself, no. 
We conference championships belong at the high seed. This is what you play for all season. If you want the money making neutral site Super Bowl, I get it, but allow the crowd to have their moment in the next biggest game of the season. And, you know, I, I, I just think that home fields and environments are a part of what makes sports so much fun. And, you know, I, I think it's one of the beauties of the other three major sports leagues is that, you know, that the postseasons are going to be played, you know, at the higher seed home field, home ice, home court advantage, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I, I, there's a, there's, as I said, there's an element of intimacy and bonding and, you know, cultural chemistry that I like about having these big games at the higher seed. I hope they never go to neutral site conference championship games and I'm happy it didn't happen. I completely agree. I think if it did happen, this would be a can of worms and that they would exactly. be considering this every fucking year. And I completely, I couldn't agree more. I think that having that home advantage we always say, What's you know, like oh, over the years we've been we've been saying how much it doesn't matter anymore in terms of regular season, but I think come the playoffs, it matters so much. I mean, in football for sure, but like you were saying, in other sports, I mean, in baseball and hockey, especially, I mean, it's absolutely massive. I, I mean, think hockey this, strategically changes the game because the home team gets the last line change. Right. The the shifting is actually in like a, you can match up home. better if you're. Home. Yeah. So it actually is a is a strategic difference. And then baseball, I've been to many a playoff games and it's a huge lift for the for the teams. And I just think if this was a neutral site, then, you know, in years to come, they would be arguing for this. This would have made a change in the NFL. No, that I'm, was what I was I'm so glad. About. It was, oh, we've tried it. Like, hmm, that was Yeah, it bad. worked well, right? It was nice for both fans to have a have a vacation, a neutral site. And no, I, I completely disagree. Right. I love, well, that's the concern, love. right? Would be like, obviously Atlanta was the rumored site here for the Bills Chiefs conference title if it happened in the AFC. So you would have had, like you said, like, oh, Buffalo and Kansas City, like reasons for their fans to travel to a warm climate in this winter. And also, Hey, if you live in Atlanta, you want to watch some real football? Here you go. Right. Like, Come on out. Yeah. 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 So you I, get that kind I think of it'd be fan awful. base involved and, you know, in a stadium that holds just as money. Like it just, it, it didn't. But knowing, knowing the, the NFL. On. But, yeah. Knowing the NFL, they'll probably pursue this again, regardless of the, circumstances yeah and it's fucked up to think that obviously the only reason this thought becomes uh you know enters somebody's mind is because of the demar hamlin situation but that's where we're at and i think that like you said now at least the seed is planted and you're right maybe in due time there will be a you know, experiment or, you know, a permanent change made, but at least for now, I, I, the, here's the way I'll put it. I like We're to think safe. the We're thought safe got further away from Roger Goodell's mind. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. 
All right, without further ado, let's jump into the conference championship games beginning in Philadelphia, where it'll be the New York Giants. Not quite. Uh, don't have to worry about them anymore. The San Francisco 49ers, the baseball team's called the Giants in San Francisco, but the 49ers travel to South Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. And this number has basically hovered at Philly minus two and the hook all week long. A total in this game sitting at 46 and a half. Um, and Alex, we both have a play we like in this game, but I think it's important to note that, uh, you know, and it's on the total, but sidewise, we are hearing the same stuff from a lot of the networks all week in that it's Brock Purdy. He's played in controlled home environments, all basically all of his starts, save for the Thursday night game in since in, excuse me, in Seattle, uh, which the 49ers won comfortably. Um, and we were talking about it, how Seattle kind of felt like a layup side, given it was a short week. And at that time, Purdy had only played, I think it, that might've been his third game or something. And San Francisco went in there and won comfortably. Now, again, like you said, playoffs, a little bit of a different element. And clearly we saw, I was there last week in Philly. It was amazing. And the Giants were outmatched right from the opening kickoff. And, you know, we've seen this Philadelphia home field advantage against Minnesota in the NFC Championship game five years ago, really just gobble up Case Keenum and, and the Vikings after they got up 7 nothing, 38 unanswered for the Eagles to win that game. And I, I, I guess a lot of that is dominating the headlines this week and and the crowd and, and D, what Debo Samuel said about how, you know, the, the, there's no crowd like the one that they play in front of in San Francisco. And, you know, all that's fine and well, but – that number's still just sitting there at two in the hook, you know, and, and that's we talk about sometimes reverse line moves and how you never kind of want to be on the wrong side of those. This is this line's not moving, meaning we're not seeing it go closer to pick. But I almost feel like the fact that it's not moving is keeping me off it, because, again, the Eagles just feel like such an obvious side here, given all that Purdy talk about him having to go on the road into Philadelphia. And the Eagles are the healthier team here. I mean, Avante Maddox was the only key injury uh, that did not play against the Giants, and he, it seems like he's in line to return for Philly in the slot, which would be important to probably cover George Kittle. And, you know, they got Lane Johnson back. Jalen Hurts looked good last week from a health perspective. So Philly definitely the healthier team, and, and we saw this does week. That, does that line movement or lack of lack of line movement, It's it's been sitting on the same – that's what I mean. Does that kind of keep you off the side? It absolutely does, because not only do we have the the Purdy element that I mentioned, but I talked about the Eagles health. And then what do we hear this week? Oh, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell having problems getting on the practice field. And and again, the line just sitting there at two in the hook. So um, if you haven't figured out by now, I am passing the side here. I, I, I just have, you know, too much respect for Shanahan and the 49ers trenches, you know, I think that's where this game's won. I think both teams are so good offensive and defensive line wise. And look at what San Francisco did last week against Dallas. You know, yeah, those injuries I mentioned are to some of their skill players and Purdy didn't play that well against Dallas and they still won the game 19, 12. So if you think about it that way, all the narratives about Purdy, maybe he goes to Philly and doesn't play that well. Maybe Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell aren't a hundred percent. San Francisco still has the best defense in the National Football League, probably, and could win this game the same way they beat Dallas last week. So I have 
there's too many ways that I could still see San Francisco being competitive to make me think that the Eagles are a run to the window side here. Last point on the side, I think I talked about this a little bit last week, and of course it did not come to come into fruition. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the Eagles' victories this year, they've been they've been blowouts, and that's obviously encouraging. It's a sign of how talented they are. Um, but by that same token, uh, you know it, Nick Sirianni's in his second season. And I do think in a late close game, you have to give the coaching advantage to San Francisco. We've seen Kyle Shanahan. Now, this is his third NFC championship in four games and four years, excuse me. So I think that's an edge to San Francisco. And of course, the line indicating the game is going to be close. So a lot of the things on the field, health wise, environment wise point to Philly. But I think probably a small coaching edge. For San Francisco, and I, I think in general, Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, seven and one against the spread in playoff games. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. So, um, you know, long-winded way of me saying again, I will pass the side. I think you're mostly in agreement on the side in this game, correct? Yeah, I am. I, I actually, I strongly lean the Eagles, but I haven't quite gotten there. I think what puts me towards the Eagles is just. They're number one in DVOA against the pass. This is the best secondary in the NFL. And I'm just waiting for that Brock Purdy blow-up game. But I've also been waiting that since that Seattle game that we faded him in and unsuccessfully did. I've been waiting that for a while. So to say that he's going to blow up this game, I mean, I, I don't think that's a – great way to handicap and to, it. I mean, to, to the point I made he didn't play that well against Dallas and they still won correct right I mean he didn't have any passes that were necessarily turnover worthy I saw there's a there's a PFF grade of turnover worthy plays and that one you know should be interception in the red zone wasn't quite there because uh, it was tips dropped. Yeah. So it was tipped. So it wasn't quite a turnover worthy play. So he hasn't had a single turnover worthy play in the playoffs or in his career. So I'm waiting for that to happen. And I don't think you can just fade a guy just waiting for that to happen. Cause you know, we've been waiting for that for about a month now and it, it hasn't quite occurred. I think that Shanahan is, one of the best coaches in the NFL. I think there's a slight mismatch there. I'm not throwing a shade at Sirianni. I think he's a very solid coach. I think Shanahan is significantly better, but I just think that Shanahan is going to get him into the perfect spots. I mean, they're going to run the ball a ton, which is why I think we both like the under. Yeah, and that's where we'll go in this game with the under. Uh, to your point, I, I think that Shanahan's smart enough to realize every. I mean, if we're if the whole country is talking about Brock Purdy going cross country into the link, I, I think he knows that the path here is to ease his young quarterback into right. the game. This isn't this isn't like breaking news, right? He's got a rookie quarterback on the road. What do you think he's gonna do? You think right. he's going to 
let him throw the ball 20, 30 times? No. Yeah, and, and so, of course, again, we'll see, because it's funny, I mentioned the three injuries, all of them ball carriers, because we see Debo in the backfield a good amount with CMC and Elijah Mitchell. So we'll see how healthy those guys are come Sunday. But I have to think that that's a big point of emphasis for San Francisco early on, is to ease Brock Purdy into the game. And by the second quarter, hopefully, for their sake, they're thinking, well, okay, He's relaxed now, and and the the jitters are maybe out of his system. Um, Another thing that I just think lends itself to the under here is I mentioned how strong San Francisco's defense played last week. They only allowed 76 total rushing yards against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, of course, Tony Pollard's injury in that game played a factor, but you you contrast that with Philadelphia rushing for 268 yards, I think it was, against the Giants, yes, 268. Um, and you have to think that there's some regression coming there for the Eagles against a much better front seven in the 49ers than the Giants. So I, I think that certainly uh, you're going to have to see Jalen Hurts have to do more now. Having said that, the secondary has been the problem area for the 49ers the last few years. So certainly if for the props crowd out there, I'd look more toward, and DFS crowd, I'd look more towards Devonta Smith then A.J. Brown, that was one of the negative Eagles headlines this week. A.J. Brown kind of uh, having to speak out against kind of a diva perception that was surrounding him because there was some videos of him a little unhappy last week on the sideline, despite the fact that the Eagles were rolling. A.J. Brown only three catches for 23 yards. Devontae Smith, uh, at least eight targets in 10 straight games. So I would look that, you know, he would be a guy I would target in props and in DFS lineups um, if you're looking for any time touchdown bets. Uh, and looking to play his overs and yards and catches, things like that. Uh, but I, I just think I don't see Philly having as much success on the ground as it did against uh, the Giants. And, you know, also uh, we saw that Eagles defense uh, gobble up Daniel Jones for five more sacks last week. So both defenses are very good. Both defensive coordinators for both of these teams, D'Amico Ryans and Jonathan Gannon, are head coaching candidates. Um, so that's really where we're looking here is when you – Couple the fact with just very strong defensive personnel on both sides. Progression likely for the Eagles in terms of their yardage output on the ground and an obvious desire for San Francisco to slow the game down anyway in a hostile environment. 46 and a half seems high. I honestly, I, I, if you're an old school, if you like Big Ten football, I think this is the game for you. I realize there's a lot of good skill talent in this game. So I want to acknowledge that before just saying like, I think this comes down to who wins in the trenches. And, you know, Nick Bosa, Hassan Reddick, Lane Johnson, Jordan Mailata, Mike McGlinsey, Trent Williams. Like, those are the guys that are probably going to decide this game. Charles Amena, who is, it looks like he's going to play. He got arrested earlier in the week for San Francisco, an edge defender for the 49ers. So I, I think those are the guys that decide this one. And all that makes me think under, you know, shorter game, fewer possessions, uh, slow things down. I think the final something like 20 to 17. I just don't know who has the 20. So I'll, I'll go under 46 and a half. Yeah, I'm completely with you. I, I actually strongly lean the Eagles. I think that their uh, skill and defense are going to win out overall. I just think that they're going to be able to win the game and cover. I saw a interesting trend. It was since 1980, the outright winner 
of the championship games are 17, 11, and 1 against the spread. So basically, you just have to pick the winner, which is which is pretty obvious. And we have a short line in, in these, here too, yeah, right? In these two games, so like both games, you're obviously just picking the winner. It's very unlikely that it's going to land two in this game or in the other that is you know a one point spread. So basically, yeah, pick the winners. I strongly lean the Eagles, but yeah, my favorite play is on the under as well. I completely agree. I think this game is one in the trenches. I'm a little concerned with McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell both not practicing today. They're obviously going to both play. I think that might lean more towards the under in terms of them just being more run attack than those guys out of the backfield. Elijah Mitchell is very run heavy. You know, Christian McCaffrey can do everything. But watching that game last week, McCaffrey was definitely a little gimpy. I mean, you didn't you didn't quite see him being himself. So I, I don't see that in this game as well. And then just I think the Niners rushing defense is going to slow down the Eagles. I'm wondering like Jalen Hurts I was looking at this Jalen Hurts under rushing yards I kind of like that I'd like the Eagles receivers are, more are you saying you think like D'Amico's gonna spy him a lot yeah exactly I, I think this number is a bit too high I think I saw 40 some it feels a bit high I think the Eagles receivers over yards are a better target than their running game yeah I I definitely lean the love the under lean the Eagles. All right. Well, let's uh, go from the current version of the Eagles to their former head coach as Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs host the Cincinnati Bengals in a rematch of last year's AFC championship game. And right now, point spread sitting at Kansas City, a one point favorite, a total of 48. So very similar point spreads and totals. Alex alluded to the point spreads in this game, both being inside that key of three. Totals very similar as well. 48, the total in the AFC game. And um, Alex, we talked about it before we went on. This is another, for as much as we don't like the side in the AFC game, with despite leans to the Eagles, I, I think I hate the side that much more in this AFC game. Because and and for for proof of that, just look at what happened on Wednesday as we record late on a Thursday night. You listen probably on a Friday, but look at what happened to this point spread on Wednesday when we got the teams back at practice for the first time this week. And Patrick Mahomes goes to the podium and, oh, he's walking and, oh, he's going to play. And, oh, the Chiefs are listing him as a full participant despite having a high ankle sprain that's usually a multi-week injury Three days later, in the first day of practice, he's going to be a full participant in practice. And the next thing you know, Cincinnati flips from a short favorite in the game to a short dog. And I think that maybe is a sign that, well, the odds makers don't, like, if this was a regular season game, I don't think this game's even on the board. But it's a playoff game, and so they have to hang a number. And Wednesday, like I said, what I just alluded to with that kind of Mahomes timeline probably an indicator that the odds makers don't really even know what to do with this number right no i completely agree and 
I think it's so funny how closely these things are tracked where you have a video of him just walking and it completely <laughs> flips a line. It, I mean, it's, it's insane how much these things factor into this, to the spread. Yeah. And I think now let's also add that while I think we all admit he's going to be at less than a hundred percent, we don't want to run to the window with Cincinnati because we're in that point spread area where Mahomes is just lethal when he's a favorite of less than three or a dog. I think he's like a 60% cover rate. So it's obviously a tricky side to pick because I, what if he comes out and they pass protect well, and you know, it's, it's an ankle sprain, meaning like he should be able to throw the ball, you know? And if, he doesn't have – if he's nicely protected and the lack of mobility doesn't factor in a ton, then, yeah, Kansas City could win the game. And Don't you think that the that Mahomes, like, half his game is predicated on him moving the pocket and getting outside and, and getting guys open? Yeah, but, like, yeah, like – Not necessarily true. running, but just, just moving the pocket. That's true, but I also think that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are smart enough to come up with a game plan to cater around what he can and cannot oh, do absolutely. on Sunday. Now, I think I think the Bengals are running up against you know two of the best minds in football offensively. So obviously, with a player you know banged up a little, they're going to be making the best play calls they can for him. We're just running up in terms of. Trends, you know, just like the Bengals are one of the hottest teams against the spread, and then you have, yeah, Mahomes as a as a short favorite is an absolute yeah. as an absolute lock. The other this thing is I want to say, by the way, and this is this is just a football point as much as it is a gambling point. Although I think it's important to note, like, while we just sung the praises of the Kansas City offensive staff, uh, Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, got some love from Lewis Riddick this week on Twitter as a maybe a sleepy head coaching candidate. We've only seen one job filled and there's only five open this year. Frank Reich hired today by Carolina. And certainly I mentioned Jonathan Gannon and D'Amico Ryans in the NFC game. Shane Steichen, Eagles offensive coordinator, seems to be a candidate for some jobs. Um, is it, is but, it wild that I haven't heard this guy's name well, so that's, like once? Th- that's the point I wanted to get at to. all. We haven't heard his name even come up because I feel like it's very public who's interviewing who now. And you see these teams tweet out, we have completed an interview with such and such candidate. And we have not heard Anarumo's name even mentioned. And part of me wonders if maybe there were requests put in and he did not want to interview until the Bengals season was over. So perhaps he could emerge as a candidate as, you know, in the bye week, if the Bengals are to win or if they lose, maybe we start hearing more about him interviewing places. But this guy, and listen, The Bengals, rightfully so, there's a lot of attention paid to what they do on offense. Joe Burrow is a winner, and, you know, gosh, if he wins this game, might be the best quarterback in the NFL. He'd be 4-0 against Mahomes, uh, and he's going to get who knows how much money in the offseason, and Jamar Chase and and all the weapons they have. But defensively, I mean, that was a work of art from Cincinnati last week in western New York, in the elements, which we think would favor Buffalo – And we saw it last year in the conference championship game against the healthy Mahomes in the second half after Kansas City got up early in the game. 
uh, what happened? You saw a complete 180 from Cincinnati defensively, and that was as much of a factor as anything into Cincinnati's rally to winning that game. So uh, i very intrigued by some of the uh, you know tactical edges in this game when Kansas City has the ball and uh, what Anarumo and his defense can come up with. Yeah, I think it can't be understated how well he's done this season. They're absolutely elite. In the fourth quarter, I've seen at least in the games they played against the Chiefs in the last calendar year, outscored them 23-3 to in the fourth quarter. So I was looking at Bengals' fourth quarter money line, minus 105. They've won the fourth quarter I like that. in these three games that they played. So it's just speaking to that defense. I mean, in the fourth quarter this season, they're holding – Opponents to six or fewer points in 14 out of 18 games. That really speaks to this defensive quarter making adjustments and just being on his game and just being way better than these other teams. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I don't have a whole lot side or total in this game. I will say I probably will tweet it out. I, I could see myself getting there. With a Jarek McKinnon prop, I do think that um, playing his over receptions is interesting because uh, you have – I would anticipate the Biennemi and Reed game plan here is let's get the ball out of Mahomes' hands quickly. Let's make sure he's not taking unnecessary hits. Let's make sure he doesn't have to improvise and expand plays. And that may mean, uh, you know, extend plays, I should say. And that may mean checking the ball down more, design screens, uh, things like that I think would mean Jarek McKinnon, the likely option in the receiving game out of the backfield. Uh, Kadarius Tony, obviously a candidate for those kinds of short area passing game targets as well. Uh, so that would probably be if you're looking for a gambling edge in this game, I'll probably look at uh, if, if you can find a number on the McKinnon over receptions prop. I, I think that's one worth taking a long, hard look at. Um, and, and, you know, again, we only have three football games left and, Obviously, in the Super Bowl, we'll do more deep diving on the props. Um, but I, I think that's one that I might look at here. Yeah, I like that. I think a similar angle, I would look at Pirine over receiving yards. He seems to be in the game in more passing. Passing downs, yeah. Yeah, passing downs. And then I'm looking at the – Bengals injury report and it's concerning the the linemen that we were concerned about last week also did not practice. We saw Alex Kappa did not practice. Yeah, and by the way, that's another Jonah thing. Williams didn't I, practice. I don't, care, I don't care how much they win with shitty offensive lines. I'm never going to say that's not a concern. Like, <laughs> right? I think it's a way bigger concern this week than it was last week. Last week we saw. Bills couldn't get a pass rush because you're saying, you know, yeah, in the snow. Clark, Clark and Chris Jones. Right. And in the snow, it, it's really tough to get a pass rush going. So that's kind of neutralized. But now against the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, in fair weather, I think they're going to get a pass rush. I think P. Ryan is going to be in the game a lot. I think that's a great look in his receiving yards over. Well, there we go. I honestly, and we've been going for about half an hour now. I feel like that's pretty good for two games. I don't have a whole lot more, my man. I think our 
our strongest play is going under the total in the first game uh, between San Fran and Philly. And, I, I, you know, I wish there was more actionable nuggets that I could give you on this AFC game. But again, the Mahomes element makes it so hard to, to really yeah, it's tough. It's just like, what are, what are we expecting? I, I lean the under, but you know, if he's fully healthy, I, all these games have gone over the total when they, when they played in the past, you know, three games in the last right. count. No, if, if he's healthy, then it's like, well, we have Cincinnati and all the weapons they have against the fully healthy Mahomes and, and he doesn't have Tyreek anymore, but still has Travis Kelsey. And I mentioned Jarek McKinnon been a viable playmaker for Kansas city. So yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I think it's just one that is you're better off watching. And, you know, if you want to dig for a prop or two, I, I think your look on the derivative with uh, Cincinnati in the fourth quarter money line is interesting given the way their defense is played in second halves and Lou Anarumo making good defensive adjustments. Um, and like I said, I, I think Jarek McKinnon, is a heavy part of the game plan for Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid on the offensive side of the ball. And Eric Bieniemy, by the way, name came up with the indie job. So um, another coordinator still coaching that um, maybe ends up getting one of those gigs. So only one of the five head coaching gigs filled as of now. So like if I said, I don't have anything else. Any final words here? It, I mean, if anyone deserves one, it's definitely Bieniemy. Yeah. I mean, I know they're going to rehire fucking GF Saturday. Dude, that would actually fucking insane. trash. Yeah. And listen, not like, surprise me. Just the comfortability, the familiarity, they'll, they'll probably bring him back. But I mean, he's a terrible coach. I mean, I will say, I, you know, if some of the things that people say about the enemy, because, you know, again, the African-American hiring process, you know, it's a very strong topic of conversation this time of year in the National Football League. But I, I do think that um, some of the issues with the enemy that people have also voiced have been, you know, problems with interviewing and wanting a lot of power. And, I, you know, I will say if, if that's true about the fact that he wants a lot of power and a lot of personnel say, I don't know that the Colts are the right job because Jim Mercer seems to be a heavily involved owner. He seems to love, yeah. he seems to love Chris Ballard. So, you know, we'll yeah, see if it, it works terrible. out for him. I'd like to see him get a chance too, though. Oh, absolutely. I think he's he's way overdue. With, with that being said, I think Steve Wilkes did a great job with the Panthers. He he probably should have got a shot, and you know they brought in Frank Reich, who, who's a Panther legacy guy, played at the Panthers. So I understand that, but I think Wilkes deserved a shot as well. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Brian Flores' name came up for that Arizona job. Of course, D'Amico Ryans uh, seems to be the candidate in Denver. I'll tell you, Alex. I As a Steelers fan, I I hope they retain Flores. I think he's an absolutely brilliant mind. I, I will say this, though, on, on the Denver thing. I, I think that, I, I like, just reading tea leaves, like, I believe the fact that they haven't made a hire is because they want Ryans. And if that's the case, I don't think Sean Payton coaches in the NFL in 2023 because I just don't think this is a good crop of jobs. And, you know, clearly, uh, like there was some stuff out about uh, Payton being frustrated with Arizona because they hired a general manager first and Payton wants personnel say, um, you know, and Arizona and Denver are the only two teams with quarterbacks in place. And Murray's going to be out for at least half the season for Arizona anyway. But I, I just don't know that I see Payton taking – Houston, Indy, and now Carolina is filled, but uncertain quarterback situations don't seem to be things that Peyton 
would want to walk into, my guess is he would just say, eh, you know, not the best crop of jobs. I'll give it another go next year. See what's open. Right. I'll just I'll just stay at stay at Fox and stay just at Fox. Yeah, Don Coward and give him all these. He's, <laughs> he's probably getting paid a healthy amount. Why do that? I'm sure he was waiting for Staley to get fired, which did not happen. Well, yeah, or McCarthy. Some. And by the way, yeah. very bizarre. How? I don't know if you saw this today. Um, the Cowboys are letting go a lot of this of a lot of assistant coaches, and I'm thinking to myself like, okay, so they're essentially like cleaning their staff out. But Quinn and Callan Moore were head coaching candidates. <laughs> yeah, and they both want to stay. Uh, right. Those guys want to stay. But my point is, like, those guys are, like, courted by other teams to be head coaches. And the coaches under them, the Cowboys are like, nah, are we don't back. like that. Yeah, right. We don't, we don't like them, but we like you. Yeah. It, it feels like one of those things where, and we see this with a lot of sports teams, you know, you know, for years, Alex Ovechkin and the Caps couldn't get over the hump. And now it's kind of the Toronto Maple Leafs that everybody makes fun of in hockey. Um, you know, and of course the Red Sox and the Cubs all those years not being able to win the World Series. And, and I think that obviously the Cowboys, if you're our age, you know, they, you haven't seen them, you know, in your adult life or the life that you can remember watching sports. You haven't seen them in the conference championship. And I think that that label gets to teams a lot and, and, like rather than just kind of accept like, hey, Cowboys, I thought they played a good enough game to win. Dak just threw a couple of picks at the ball and bounced their way. Like rather than do that, they make unnecessary changes. Like I'd feel pretty disappointed if I was one of those Cowboys assistants because like like the running backs coach, like look at how much better Tony Pollard got. I think right. they got the linebackers. What did, he, what did he do wrong? Yeah. Like look what did he, look at how good Van Der Esch and Parsons have been for them. Like it's just right. like one of those things where. It's that scapegoat shit. Right, scapegoating. That's like I don't like that in sports. Like no, I I completely agree. You just you just blame someone. You you love your offensive defensive coordinator, so you just blame everyone else. So right, and so it's like you you cave. It feels like caving under public perception in that like oh Cowboys gonna Cowboys things like that, and so then they can say well you know see we're not happy we did all these things. And in, in reality, like what they actually did changes nothing, and they would have been better off just retaining. No, nothing. You you gotta think that's a that's a Jerry Jones thing. That's gotta be hundred percent. Well, and look at all the teams that we saw keep coaches but get rid of OCs. I mean, like you know, I think it was eight OC openings, and now it's less than that because the Jets hired Hackett. But how about, you know, how about Hackett? It's the same thing with the Broncos, right? They're trying to attract. They're trying Aaron to get Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why else you make does that. Does that work? I mean, does he like – do we even know that he likes Hackett? Are so, we sure? I'm glad you said that because we I'm don't not sure he does. How, we don't, we don't know. Even know how involved Hackett was with calling plays in Green Bay. Like, when you have Rodgers as your quarterback, obviously he's going to be involved in play calling. And Matt LaFleur is a Sean McVay disciple and an offensive mind, like – how do we know that Hackett was even doing anything in Green Bay? Right. I always wonder how much they're involved in terms of, you know, quarterback coaches, wide receiver coaches. I mean, maybe that's some of the things that go on with enemy and some of these teams, why they don't hire them. Like, I'm just throwing shit against the wall here. But, you know, like, 
it does make you yeah, wonder. I would be curious. It, it makes you wonder why the enemies is he comfortable? Is he just comfortable staying in the Chiefs organization? Because his name's been brought up for the past like four years. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, maybe he's just like Peyton waiting knows for his the name perfect, keep coming up, and so he'll yeah. keep waiting for the right situation. And I don't know, but um, yeah, honestly, like the Hackett thing, the only thing I can come up with there is that they want Rodgers because. And they'll Think never about, say that, but it's embarrassing. Like if you watch that Broncos offense, it was oh, one of the worst in the entire fucking league. Like, and, and here's the thing. Think about how many, given the way the league's going with offense, offense, offense. Think about how many young, rising minds you could find. Like when the Giants hired Mike Kafka, he was the big, you know, rising mind, right? As the Andy Reid quarterbacks coach in Kansas City, and then he gets the Giants OC job, and after one year, and he did a good job because they don't have anything really outside of Saquon in terms of skill talent, and their offense was league average for the most part. Like, Kafka's name comes up in head coaching games. There's uh, there's like 10 of those guys, I'm sure, that are, like, I can tell Brian said, Johnson. That, that, makes you, uh, like, that makes you want to pay Daniel Jones, right? Because they had absolutely no... No talent. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, he I had a hell of a season. I think it's going to be a bridge deal for Jones. You have to, right? Yeah, like you got to give him like a two or three year deal and just kind of see what happens um, and try and get him. So, like, I think the Giants are a slam dunk DeAndre Hopkins destination if he gets traded, which it seems like it's a good chance he does get traded. But like, again, I go back to the Jets and I'll even like I'm not surprised that New England rehired O'Brien, but like. Think about all the young. That's another funny, like the retreads. That right. that's something that exactly. needs to be spoken on more. Like, the retreads are so fucking embarrassing. The infatuation, upsetting. With offense and finding that young mind like a Mike Kafka, you'd think would lend itself towards these teams with more OC new hires. Excuse me. Like more new hires instead of right. retreading. Like, no, I think Bill the Ravens did hire somebody who was a little lesser known, which I, I I'm happy for because i'd like to see lamar stay there um but you know like it's surprising to see some of these names well surprising might be the wrong term the jets seem very quarterback hungry and they're going to try the hackett thing and new england's new england and belichick's always going to bring his boys back when they go six and eleven as head coaches or whatever but um, <laughs> yeah Throw them off to Alabama and then bring them back. Alabama, yeah, or, you know, Detroit for Patricia and the Giants for Judge, you know. But, yeah, again, there's got to be more of these Mike Kafkas out there who should be getting these OC jobs. And when you see these retreads go back to coordinators, and, again, it's fine if you want to sell it as, oh, he's a coordinator, not a coach, like Vic Fangio, right, or somebody like that. But I don't even I don't even know if Hackett's a coordinator because, like I said, in Green Bay, we don't know if he did anything. Right? What did he do? <laughs> I think when you have a quarterback that that who's that good, like what are you actually doing? I'm not so sure you're doing that much. Exactly. And you have an MVP who's calling the place, who's probably calling and, you off half the, the place floor, you're who's calling. Who's the McVay disciple guy? Right. You already have that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, man. Good stuff. Little NFL coaching talk on the way out to get you to almost 45 minutes he's alex uplinger at alex underscore up seven at full underscore slate underscore pod i'm greg frank at undercover greg at g underscore frank six those are the twitter handles under 46 and a half san francisco philly nfc championship game let's cash 
Unfortunately, we're only down to one game left after Sunday. Alex, let's have some fun. Go Birds. I'll be obviously very inebriated probably by the end of the game and hopefully celebrating a win. (laughs) Fuck yeah. Go Birds. Go Birds. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. See you, buddy. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. Everybody enjoy Championship Sunday. And, of course, please play responsibly.